This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Austin Matthews. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 373, recorded Thursday, April 12th, 2018. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am excited to be here. As I know Jason is, we are going to read all of the listener feedback and holy craps and stuff like that that we got for the most recent episode of The Walking Dead. You called yourself Thurston what now? <laughs> Thurston Howell III, or what's his name? That's it. That's it. You got it. Oh, look at me. Uh, no, I called myself Austin Matthews because tonight is the first game for the Leafs anyways of the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs and they are playing Boston and I just thought I'd give Mr. Matthews a shout out and give him some good luck in the game. And who is he? Is he a coach? No, he is a player. He's one of the best players in the world and drafted first overall by the Leafs last year. Nice. Yeah. Fancy. Or a couple years ago. So Sorry, uh, his name is Thurston what? Austin. Austin? (laughs) Matthews. Matthews, okay. No Thurston at all. (laughs) You're sure though? I'm pretty... Pretty positive, yeah. All right. So that's happening while we speak. Uh, Go Leafs go, but I'm not here to talk about hockey, even though I feel like I could. We are here to do the podcast, and the first thing I want to do is remind everyone that we are now just over a week away from the deadline for our 2018 Season 8 Record Your Favorite Scene contest. So if you want to get an entry in, now actually you are in fact running out of time. Good. And I recommend you record something and fire it into us. So if you would like to do that, get your family, friends together, pick a scene from any episode of The Walking Dead and record it and send it in. You can do that to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. And here is an entry from Billy in Scotland. Nice. Annie, you should work outside and you should risk your life. You should take a drink of water and you should risk your life. Nowadays, you should just breathe, and you shall risk your life. You don't have a choice. The only thing you shall can choose is what you risk it for. How rude. There you go. Thank you very much, Billy in Scotland. So Nice. I mean, I heard Herschel in there. You heard Herschel? Yeah, well, that was Herschel's speech. Well, it was Herschel's speech. Okay, so I heard Jar Jar in there. Yeah, I heard Bill, a little bit of Billy too. A little bit. That was fantastic, though. Thanks, thank you, Billy, for that. <laughs> uh, and yeah, get get entries in, folks. We'll pick a winner about a week after the season finale, and then announce it on uh, our first podcast that we do after that. So I'm looking forward to getting a few more, and excited to choose a winner. All right, before we jump right into the feedback, Jason, let's just get caught up on the ratings. We didn't talk about the ratings for episode 14 because of last week's, uh, you know, podcast schedule fiasco. So really quick, season eight, episode 14 had 6.3 million viewers, which was down from the week before. Um, And then season eight, episode 15, the most recent one had 6.67. So it swung up a little bit, but as I've been saying for a while now, We've been hovering between like 6.6 and 6.8 for, uh, you know, most of the back half of this season. Well, hopefully the finale will uh, pick up a little bit. Well, finales tend to do that, so I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Um, But 
you know, I don't think we're ever going to come anywhere close to the, you know, the uh, heights that we saw back in season five, for example. Yeah. Even my mom is behind. Really? Every once in a while, she'll ask me, how's the podcast going? And say, I say, it's fine. She said, you watch the latest episode? No, I haven't watched it in a few weeks. So <laughs> she's uh, she's slipping too. She oh. thinks maybe that she'll get caught up when uh, the season gets released on Netflix. Oh, so next uh, fall sometime. Yeah. Hmm. All right. She, well. has a, she has a DVR, so I don't know why, uh, I don't know if she's DVRing it or not, but uh, I guess she's just. Not that into it right now. Yeah, could be. I guess she's got other things going on. Well, anyways, Jason's mom, uh, yeah, get caught up and let us know what you think. Maybe she's the benchmark for uh, all of North America. They're you just know? a little bit behind? Just, uh, you know, if she's watching it, then uh, that means that it's extremely popular. If she's not watching it, I mean, generally speaking, that's probably pretty indicative of uh, what's going on in the populace at large. Oh, I see. Yeah, Maybe she's right. got her finger on the pulse of the continent. Well, we knew that. Well, yeah, that's true. Right. I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah, she knows what's going on. She doesn't have a, a smartphone, and she doesn't Facebook. No. She knows what's happening. She sure does, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, I hope your mom gets caught up someday, but let's do our listener feedback for this episode. Listener feedback. We're going to start off with a call, and it comes from Jamie. Oh, hey, guys. It's Jamie from um, Southern England. I think where I was from then. Uh, it just occurred to me that Gregory and Simon, when they were sitting in the meeting room, were drinking whiskey in little little glasses. And I uh, just thought that is the whiskey that Simon stole from Gregory last season, I believe, when um, Jesus swapped out Maggie for the whiskey in the cupboard. Just a nice little sort of bit of continuity that I noticed. Uh, cool. Cheers. See ya. Thanks, Jamie. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was a neat little point there. The the whiskey yeah. that, that Simon steals is now being shared amongst Gregory anyways. Well, I I, seem, I, I think I'm going to add to the backstory that uh, Gregory, Gregory whined about not having the whiskey anymore and asked pleadingly and pathetically if he could have a drink of his old <laughs> alcohol. Can I just please have a drink of my own <laughs> beverage? If you would be so kind, that'd be great. I really need a, a shot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? I, I mean, Simon's not a total monster. He's going to share it with the guy, right? Uh, only for his own benefit okay. and to lord it over him, but yeah. <laughs> and I think he may be a total monster, so. He, he might be, he might be. Yeah. All right, next we have an email from Sean on the internet. Holy crap, did you see the continuity department doing its job? Eugene clearly vomited mac and cheese onto Rosita. So... Let me ask you a question, Jason. How do they normally do vomit scenes in TV and movies? Is there, like, does the, the actor who's vomiting hold something in their mouth and then spit it out? That sounds kind of gross, but it might work for small volumes of stuff. But it really looked like more liquid came out of Eugene's mouth in this case. So do they film it at a funny angle and have, like, a vomit tube coming up his cheek that sprays out vomit so it looks like it's coming out of his mouth? Uh, short answer is yes, absolutely. That's exactly what they do is they have a tube that is not visible to the camera. Mm -hmm. uh, the longer answer is, uh, they just get the actors to throw up. Like, why would they fake it? Like, why bother? So what do you think they did in this case? They used a vomit tube. Okay. <laughs> well, they did a good job making that vomit look like the food that he was eating, not, you know, a short time ago. So 
Uh, I mean, actors don't really have sex on on uh, on screen either, right? Like when like movies when you see actors, movies and TV, you see actors having sex. Like they don't really, do they? Uh, not most of the time, but there are some infamous scenes in popular films that you know have involved real sex. So or so I've been told. Who told you? Uh, reputable sources reputable or the sources? internet? No, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't believe all of them, but I bet you there have been times where it has occurred. Okay. Well, I, I, uh, I challenge you to think that there are times when somebody's vomited on screen that uh, it's real vomit. So you're, yeah, it might be. I mean, it could happen. I'm not sure I'd really want to witness that but i wouldn't want to witness two people having sex that don't really know each other either well i guess maybe i would <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> not in real life well maybe in real life you're, you'll anyway, fig- I'm, gonna, I'm gonna backpedal a little bit here let's move on you'll figure it out <laughs> uh well anyways the the puke um definitely looked like basically when it was coming out it looked sort of like when it was going in and i uh, never yeah go. it did I, i've never actually personally vomited mac and cheese uh, it's too precious to me. I would never vomit that stuff, but I've vomited other things, sure. but never mac and cheese to the best of my recollection. All right. Well, that's good. Yeah. Dennis in Russia writes, holy crap. At the point where Dwight first returned to the sanctuary, he needed to say that Laura is the traitor. She killed the saviors and I barely survived the ambush. Maybe that would have helped him. Yeah. You know, you know, come up with a, a cover story pretty much. And then who do you believe? Right. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. When you're lying to someone about something, the best policy is to keep it to a minimum, right? Uh, right. But in this case, that would have helped, but I don't think that that would have been logically the the best way of handling it, just in general. Like, specifically, when you're lying to someone, just just do the minimum, absolute minimum. People don't really care about the details I've found. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're, if you're telling somebody something, especially work related and you need to lie to them, don't give them details. <laughs> Just say the lie, yep. shut up. And, uh, that's the, that's, uh, it, it doesn't, it means that you don't have to prove as much when it comes time to back up your lie with evidence. Sure. So, you know, and, and you'd have to think a couple of levels deep here for for Dwight to come back and think, okay, is there anyone out there who can discredit my story? And if there is, what can I do now to try and prevent that from happening? That's pretty tough to do. But yeah. you're right. I it's mean, not impossible. No, it's not impossible. But I do think you're right. If you're If you have to lie or come up with a cover story for something – as simple as possible is best. And in this case, it just didn't quite work out for Dwight because there was that one X factor out there and that was uh, Laura who showed up. Yeah. That just reminded me of a time I got caught in a lie by uh, somebody knowing something, knowing that it was a lie and then the lie coming up when somebody else was telling the, retelling the lie and then I got caught. Mm-hmm. But overall, that uh, that evening turned out really, 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 really well. That's a so, lot of reallys. It is a lot of reallys. Okay. Uh, but overall, yeah, you gotta, you have to, managing lies is a full-time job and I don't recommend it. And that's why I don't lie for evil anymore. I only lie for good. Got it. So it's, it's too much work. It, it's too, it's too hard. Don't lie if you don't have to. And the only way to keep a secret between three people 
is to kill two of them. <laughs> so if you're going to lie, <laughs> make sure that uh, you cover your ass. Make sure everyone else is dead. Well, that's terrible <laughs> advice. <laughs> I didn't go there. No, I know. Cover your ass. I like that better. Yeah. All right. Next, we have an email from Gemma in South Wales. Simon was the one who killed the Oceanside men and boys, which I suspected all along, as Negan seems to like kids. So for him to gun down a bunch of little boys was unlikely. I'm glad we got clarification on that. Yeah. And this is uh, this is sort of framed as a holy crap moment for Gemma. Um, and I'm also glad we got clarification on that because not that I'd really thought thought it through too much, but... You know, Gemma's right that Negan doesn't seem like the kind of person who would kill uh, an entire community. Well, we know he doesn't do that, and it doesn't—he doesn't seem like the kind of person who would kill like fifty percent of a community either and kill all the men. So, uh, it does make more sense that this turns out to be Simon because, as we know, he gets fed up easy and likes to just kill every last person in the joint. Yeah, now and now that Negan knows that uh, Simon has a predilection for mass murder, uh, I guess he's decided he has to go because, you know, kill everybody once, shame on me. Kill everybody twice, shame on you. <laughs> That's exactly it. Shame <laughs> on you. All right, Graham on the internet writes, holy crap, people really are a resource to Negan. Even dead, Simon is still useful to him. Yep. Do you think Graham means just by chaining him to the fence? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those zombies are completely useless, but at least it has the advantage of, uh, it's sort of, uh, it does have the advantage of uh, Simon being useful mm -hmm. in that maybe he'll scare off uh, children. And you know, it's funny when you think about it, si zombies chained to the fence like that really have zero effect because yeah. they can't run after anyone or chase after anyone. And there's, it didn't look like there were that many left. I mean, yeah, that's it's, the, it's also the modern day equivalent of putting their head on a pike, right? I suppose, at, yeah. At the gates, so it's just like here's you know a row of people that betrayed me, uh, and they're all dead now, and their heads are on pikes. See them as an example, and this uh, has that advantage as well. Yeah, true. So in that way, he also is, Simon is also still useful well, as an example. Good old Simon, most useful guy on the show. Uh, what now? Michael in London writes, my holy crap is, holy crap, Simon is cool. Even his Walker version is chomping on chewing gum. What a guy. Yeah, he was there going, ow, 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 ow. you yep. know, looked like he was chewing gum. Thank you, nice. Michael, for that. Uh, moving right along here, we've got a call from Paul. Hey, Chris and Jason, Paul from Orlando, Florida. Uh, so I was thinking about the whole Simon Negan fight that was going on in this last episode. And uh, I got to disagree. I actually think that Negan would be able to take out Simon. Uh, Simon's got two things going against him right off the bat. Number one, yeah, he's ripped, which means that he has the ability to work out and he can probably lift a bunch of weights. That does not translate into fighting. Uh, plus, he fights with his emotions, not with his brain. Uh, as anybody who's ever gotten in a fight will, well, pretty much anybody who's gotten in a fight will ever tell you. Um, it's the matter of being able to keep your head. If you start fighting with your emotions and you let them get get the best of you, uh, whoever is less emotional has time to react and has time to actually think about what they're doing rather than just blind rage. Uh, so there's that. And then there's also the fact that kind of the way that I saw it was Negan was giving Simon the respect. Uh, Negan, yes, he's a monster. Yes, he's a crazy person. Yes, he's everything that anybody's ever said he is. But he's also a man of his word, and which to me shows that he has some form of honor, some form of respect. 
And it seems to me that the higher up the food chain you get inside the sanctuary, the more respect he gives you. If you're stuck in a cell listening to Easy Street all day, he's not even going to bother with you or he'll walk by and you know knock on the door and make fun of you or something. But the higher up the food chain you get, the more respect he gives you. So thanks, Paul. I wanted to mention that I cut that down a little bit just for length, but I think uh, Paul's point is intact that, uh, first of all, um, Simon is a little more emotional and a bit um, sort of dictated by his emotions, maybe, which means he might not be quite as effective in a fist fight uh, because he might be careless, I think, really, is what Paul is saying. So not so crazy that si- or that Negan would be able to take him down. So I, I take your point, Paul, that, uh, you know, whoever can keep their head in a, in a fight is generally uh, better off. That doesn't work for Jedi, because you remember what uh, Obi-Wan said to Luke, that he was supposed to reach out with his feelings, right? <laughs> so that means you're supposed to fight with your feelings out so that you can uh-huh. be a better Jedi. So Jedi fight with their feelings. But, you know, that's a fictional universe, and we're talking about zombies walking the earth, walking dead here. So of course. it's completely different. Um, so, but I, I do take your point that, uh, you know, just because Simon is in much better shape and, uh, than, than Negan, well, I wouldn't even say that necessarily has bigger muscles, which yes, that basically only means he has the ability to work out. I mean, I have the, you know, ability to work out. I just don't have the desire. (laughs) And so you really need that kind of desire. I've been trying to find it. I've been looking around for it for a couple of years now. Uh, looking under rocks, looking in the garage every now and again. I can't find it, but uh, you know Simon found it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so okay, Paul, I, I I take your meaning. Well, Jason, if you're looking for a, a, an excuse to work out, come join my hockey team. It would be amazing. And no, it's such good exercise. I need we need players. I need players. Can't I just you know get rollerblades and roller? We did that for a while. I remember where you and me and your wife would go rollerblading. Yeah. At one time? Yeah, oh, many, many years ago. <laughs> Those are good times. And that's fine, but my rollerblades are gone now. I do not want so them anymore. Uh, well, can I do that instead of ice skating? Because I really have no desire. Oh, but it's so fun. It's the greatest thing I've ever done. If there's any hockey players in Toronto that want to come out and play hockey with me, hey, you'd send an email. It'd be it'd be awesome. Okay. Good plug. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> All right. Shall we just move on? We shall. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jason. First time caller, a semi-short time listener. I picked up on y'all last season. But I did want to comment on the fight between Negan and Simon and where I think that came from. Um, I think it came from the fact that Simon was starting a coup and Negan knew that there was more than just Simon, meaning even the people that he shot, this was obviously going to be a growing theme in the group of, you know, questioning Negan and questioning his leadership. And so he had to open it up to a, if you want to take the lead, fight for it situation versus the other people. They're not his people. They're not a part of his group. So he doesn't really give a hoot what their opinion is, but his own people, for him to shut down the coup, he had to shut down Simon, and he did. And second note, just Jason, <laughs> I think you're—I think both of y'all are so great, but Jason, you just cracked me up because yes, Negan is smaller, and yes, I know you love Stephen Ogg and all that kind of good stuff, but it really is who has 
the most gumption to get the fight done. And, you know, for the story, Negan needed to. But also, Negan was just angrier. He was actually betrayed by Simon. Simon was just being selfish and wanted to do his own thing. So, you know, their reasoning for the fight was just totally different. And sometimes the little guy with the big heart, the big, bigger reason to win is the one who wins. Anyways, uh, I'm glad that I got to call in and hopefully enlighten y'all a little bit and keep on doing the podcast. I'm excited for more. We'll see about Fear the Walking Dead. I'm still watching it. I just don't love it the way I love this show. So, anywho, have a good day, y'all. Talk to you soon. Bye. Awesome. Thank you, Jamie. First of all, I think Fear Season 4 is going to be fantastic, but we'll talk about that on a future podcast soon. Next week, maybe. Yeah, next week or the week after. Yeah. Um, but, you know, similar point to Paul, Negan just kind of wanted it more, I think, in this in this fight, and that gave him an advantage. I still can't get on board. I still think <laughs> that uh, Simon uh, is meaner and uh, was knew that he was fighting for not only his life, but the uh, the lives of the people that he wanted to f- have him, that that he wanted to follow him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I understand that, uh, you know, size is, and uh, strength is not necessarily the uh, the medal of a man. Uh, you know, look at the, when Hulk Hogan beat uh, Andre the Giant for the, uh, for the, the title belt that one time back in the 80s. Uh, you know, Andre the Giant, that's a big dude. He's a very big dude. You ever see a picture of Andre the Giant holding a beer? The guy's massive. It's, it's like the little it's like the little kid cans that you can get nowadays that are like half a can of of soda. Yep. Uh, it's like Andre that he used to drink like 40, 50 beer in a night. Jesus. Because he was so big that that's the kind of thing that he would have to do in order to be drinking. <laughs> Well, it reminds me of at you and me at the original Walker Stalker Con when we met the guy that played uh, Big Tiny. I remember, yep. sh- remember shaking his hand. That guy had hands like the size of a baseball mitt. Yeah. And scary. just engulfed my little baby hand in his giant, <laughs> enormous baseball glove hand. So. Yeah. But Hulk Hogan in that fight wanted it more, right? And or it was scripted, but, you know, this show is also scripted, so... You know, we can draw a direct par- parallel. Sure, that's the point, though. Hulk Hogan is the little guy; he wanted it more, and Negan was, by your n- note, is sort of the little guy, and he just wanted it more, so he, he won the fight. Yeah, I just I I can't get on board with uh, uh, Simon not being able to easily trounce Negan. You know, if Negan had the bat, maybe. Yeah, well, I guess the only explanation I can possibly think in story, other than you know a continuity flaw or, you know, just a flaw of physics, uh, is that Simon wanted to die. Yeah, that's what you're telling yourself. Yeah, he had to want to die. I've I've given up. I know that I can't win, but I will uh, make this, I will do the, the honorable thing and uh, make it so that uh, Negan will have a stronger power base because of this struggle, and I can help him out in this one little way. Yeah, all right, well... Next email here is from Ishmael in South Florida, and Ishmael says more or less the last note on this 
particular issue, I think. Ishmael says, according to Google, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is six foot two, hundred and eighty-three pounds, and Stephen Ogg is six foot three, hundred and sixty-one pounds. Jason, I know you have a love affair with Simon, but seems to me that JDM would be the odds-on favorite in a fight just based on the tail of the tape. Although I do get why you would prefer looking at Stephen Ogg shirtless more than JDM. LOL. Wait, you're telling me that? No, oh, I can't be right. They're lying about their weights. Well, I don't got to be six foot two, one eighty three pounds. I mean, that's taller than me and lighter than me. But you know, no one wants to Google me with my shirt off. And <laughs> Stephen Ogg, six three, one sixty one. That guy is all lean muscle, right? So. I don't know. Maybe they're lying about their weights. I have a hard time believing these numbers. Okay. And I have one more point to make. A couple of people wrote in and said, you know, Stephen Ogg may be bigger and more muscular than Jeffrey Dean Morgan, but Simon is not necessarily bigger and more muscular than Negan. And I think that is a valid point. Simon... And Negan yeah. are not the same people as Je- uh, Stephen Ogg and JDM. You know, I have a problem that I just tend to agree with everybody all the time, and you're, <laughs> you're winning me over here. But you're splitting hairs if you if you're saying that uh, you know maybe Negan is more muscular than than Simon, even though Stephen Ogg is more muscular than Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I think we've probably talked it to death, but uh, I think there's just multiple ways of looking at this. And at the end of the day, Negan kicks Simon's ass, and that's where we have to. That's the reality of the we, situation. Yeah, we got to live with it. Sometimes you got to friggin' eat shit and just live with the the shitty reality that uh, life has given you. And in this case, life has given me that. You know, Negan has beaten Stephen or sorry. Negan has beaten Simon. It's an important <laughs> distinction because I don't know if Jeffrey Dean Morgan could beat Stephen Ogg in a fight. <laughs> no. Like I would, uh, you take, you know, uh, you take, uh, what's my brain doing here? Uh, no, never mind. Brain is shutting down. All right. So, yeah, we have beaten this thing to death. Uh, so. And at the end of the day, Simon's dead. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Uh, now I'm doing it. Simon's dead. <laughs> Negan is still alive. And let's That's it. John McClane versus the Death Star. Oh yeah, absolutely. If you have John McClane versus the Death Star, John McClane's going to definitely win, right? Uh, that's the general feeling, I think. Yes. But if you take Bruce Willis versus the Death Star, well, he'd probably win anyway because Death Star is a model. Right? Might be Death Star all the way it. though. <laughs> all right. I, I don't know. You just stomp it. It's made out of wood and plastic and uh, various. Uh, like they went to the hobby store and bought a whole bunch of uh, World War II parts, yeah, right? plastic uh, model parts, and just kind of glued them on. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah. Okay, so maybe Bruce Willis would beat the Death Star in real life. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But uh, let's move on. Yeah, because that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> All right, next we have an email from Kelly in California. Negan had to fight Simon because Simon directly challenged his authority and tried to take over and even convinced several of the other saviors to join his side. Negan needed to prove that he was still stronger, uh, still the strongest leader, leader by killing the challenger. He did not give the chance to Dwight or the doctor as they disobeyed the rules, but did not directly challenge his authority. So that kind of explains why this like man to man, hand to hand fight came up now rather than when 
Negan was just punishing someone for doing something. In this right. case, it was a direct challenge to his authority. So he said, all right, you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. And that's different than what Dwight did before and what the doctor did. Uh, so they deserve to just be face ironed and, you know, furnished. But in this case, you have to uh, fight, fight him. So does this lead into Rick fighting Negan in a hand-to-hand combat? Hmm. Um, I mean, Rick has never really directly challenged Negan's authority. He's never said, I want to take over you. He really has just decided, I want to kill you and all your people. But this could be a setup for that kind of challenge. Oh, it could be. It could be. Now that we've seen this happen, there's no reason it can't happen again. Or, or, you know, they're giving us a little taste so that when it does happen again, we're like, oh, yeah, we've seen this before. Could. Right. So when Eugene challenges his authority and Eugene and Negan get into a fight, uh, Eugene can handily lose because he's just a pierogi. He's the the armored pierogi, though. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's not so much armored anymore. No. Right? He doesn't have the armor anymore, but uh, he's still a pierogi. Not in a while. That's true. All right. Eric in Chilliwack. Not Arawak in... (laughs) (laughs) Although that is a good name. It is. Eric in Chilliwack, British Columbia, writes, Regarding Negan's choice to fight Simon, here's what I think is going on in Negan's head. I believe he is a narcissistic psychopath with a god complex who believes that all who believes with all of his head and heart that he can't lose. He decides who lives and dies, and think about all the things he's survived. A point-blank gunshot into a baseball bat, zombie Sasha, the zombie horde surrounding him outside the sanctuary, two head-to-head fights with Rick, one of them in a zombie-infested basement with his arch-nemesis holding Lucille. At this point, the man believes himself to be invincible, and it's hard to argue that he's not. I don't believe that Negan considered the possibility, even for a fleeting moment, that Simon could beat him. What's fascinating to me is that I think Rick has exactly the same mindset as Negan, where he just doesn't believe he can lose. I think they're both right. Neither one of them can lose, because that's their track record. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, Negan does seem, when all those things Eric lists, Negan does seem to, or he has seemed to have faced, you know, a fair bit of adversity or life and death situations and he always comes out clean so he I can't be... be killed that's the only possibility yeah that's right I can't be killed well <laughs> look at Morgan Morgan is feeling the same way too I don't die I just see death and am surrounded by it all the time similar to Negan so that yeah and if Rick is uh I don't think Rick is necessarily afflicted with that same issue because he's been hurt before and uh you know he's had I guess people around him been killed but so is Negan really so Rick's lost. He lost that fight with Negan in the in the basement. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. But I mean, yeah, he 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 did lose that fight. But Negan, I mean, he has encountered a lot of stuff, and he's always come out, you know, smelling like roses. <laughs> At least I guess yeah. by the way he he's sees also it. when we first met Negan when he killed uh, Abraham and Glenn. That whole first half of the season, he uh, handily beat Rick time and time again. Mm-hmm. Negan, yeah, yeah, yeah. Negan, well, yeah. He um he's he's a winner. That's what it is, right? And he knows he can do anything he wants and he's going to come yeah. out on top. Yeah, and that and he has the power of other people not wanting to kill him. Well, that helps. Yeah. Definitely helps. helps. All right, next we have an email from Dan in York, UK. Why would Negan allow the fight? Remember that foiling Simon Simon is not his main priority. He also needs to give Dwight the opportunity to escape with the plans. 
This means Negan has to do something that convince, uh, convincingly distracts A, himself, and B, all of the other Negan-level saviors, C, at the same time, D, for long enough for Dwight to be confident that he will get away with it. Right. And I at first when I read this email from Dan, I was like, oh, he's just being sarcastic about the writing. But actually, he's not. He's saying no. that Negan did this on purpose because part of the plan was to get the fake plan back to Rick. And I mean, it does seem like a little bit of an elaborate setup just to distract everyone while uh, while um, Gregory flees with the plan. But he needs Dwight to do this on his own and think he's doing the right thing. So set up this big elaborate fight. Everybody's watching it. And that gives Dwight an opportunity to sneak off and send Gregory on his way. Yeah. So smart. So it's pretty genius, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Even though it didn't seem to make too much sense. Um, Finally, we've got an email here uh, about the fight uh, from Lee, who is not ready to rage quit, but fucking disappointed. That's where he's from. That's right. Lee, hi guys. I was glad to hear you had problems with the fight at the Sanctuary too. I have a theory about why they went this way instead of lining Simon up for the bat. Think back to the season seven premiere where Glenn and Abe were bashed to death. Do you remember the outcry and backlash against the show from all the idiot whiners who said it was too violent? I think ratings plummeted after that episode and still haven't recovered. They bottled it. Of course, Negan would have used Lucille on Simon. They just didn't want the negative reaction like they got last time. So speaking of being a little bit uh, sarcastic, maybe, about the writing of the show, that's kind of Lee's perception here. And although I don't necessarily agree with calling everyone idiot whiners, um, there was certainly a a great deal of backlash to that scene. And when you think about it, Negan has not, I don't think, hit anyone with the bat since that moment. Since we first introduced to him. Ah, uh, not anybody alive. Which does, not anybody alive, that's right. And that does seem like something he would do, hit people with that bat. He certainly carries it around enough. Right. So the next episode, he has to hit somebody with the bat. Oh, yeah, well, maybe. He might have to hit somebody in the season finale, yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, I could see... AMC going, all right, maybe we don't need to graphically show people getting their heads bashed in by a barbed wire baseball bat. I don't think Lee is being sarcastic. I think he's being cynical. Sorry, that's the word I meant, cynical. Okay, yes. okay, so that that's good. That's it. Clar- uh, clarity has been achieved. That's fine. I got, I got my English wrong there for a second. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I think, more or less all of the, uh, the comments about the fight. Um, you know, a number of people wrote in to just to for a little additional clarity here in that really the point of the fight was, and we did sort of get into this, but really the point was Negan showing um, Negan showing his authority, demonstrating his authority because he had these people or had Simon try to take his authority away. And what he's doing is like, you do this, I'm going to fight you, uh, you're not going to survive, and you know, I'm in charge. I'm the boss. Don't anybody forget that. So with, for me, with that sort of context around it, it does make more sense. And it helps explain why we haven't seen this kind of thing happen at the sanctuary before, because he is, his authority hasn't been challenged in the same way. Yeah. Right. So I think well, that I helps. I don't necessarily bit. disagree with the fact that the fight happened. 
I just don't think uh, Negan would have won. Right, but I was saying that I don't see why the fight happened. I, I just think, yeah. you know, Negan would have eliminated Simon and, and they move on, right? But this is a very big public display of, you know, you challenge me, look what happens to you, and don't challenge me because I actually am dominant over all you guys. I can kick your ass hand to hand. Right. That can't, that can't last forever. Uh, no, I guess not. So, all right, next we have a call from Angie. Angie, another, uh, here's another call. I, I edited down for time a little bit, but hopefully it makes sense. Hi, guys. It's Angie in Birmingham. Um, I just wanted to say, holy crap, did you see what a dick Daryl and Rosita were to Eugene? I mean, come on, give the guy a break. Uh, I mean, Daryl has got a pretty short memory if he's forgotten that he kneeled to Negan and he only escaped because Dwight let him out. Uh, now, just think about poor old Eugene for a minute. He's not a traitor. He's a pathological liar who lied to Abe and got his protection. And in the way, his family, who accepted him for who he was. Now, he ends up captured by the group's biggest enemy they've ever had. He's alone. The first thing that happens when he gets to their camp is he sees the group's doctor get thrown into a furnace to be burnt alive. Um, now, if they can kill the most important person in the group, why wouldn't they kill him? So, of course, he's going to go along with whatever they say. Eugene's just being Eugene. He's doing exactly what any one of us and any one of the rest of the group would do just to survive. He's putting up, shutting up, and going along to get along. And I don't understand why he's being attacked for it. Um, I mean, after all, isn't that what everybody's trying to do? Anyway, thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, Angie. Uh, I think it's pretty tough. Uh, you know, she tries to do it here, Angie, but I think it's pretty tough to make a case, you know, for Eugene not really being a traitor. And yeah, fine, he's doing exactly, he's doing what he's trying to do to survive. And he, when he got there, he saw some horrible things. And, you know, what would you do in that situation? You see a guy get thrown into a furnace, you're probably going to fall in line and be like, I'm not going to do anything to get thrown into that furnace. I get that. But that doesn't mean that he didn't turn his back on his friends and his original group, because I think he definitely did. Yeah. And I hope he doesn't turn back. Well, he, he's going to, I am, I am. Come on, no way. We have some more emails coming up about that, but I am almost a hundred percent convinced that they set that up in this episode and they're going to play it out next week on Sunday night. All right. But anyways, just in regards to Angie's call, uh, yeah, Eugene is a pathological liar. He's doing what he wants to do to survive. And I don't hold that against him necessarily, but he is definitely a prick. And he is definitely, you know, working until now anyways, has been working against his former friends. And that's that's uh, not cool, I don't think. But, you know, hey, I can't... What would I do in that situation? Probably the same thing because... I'd want to live too. I would never get into that situation. I'd be long dead. <laughs> That's right. Day one, zombie apocalypse. Jason's dead. <laughs> Jason dies. Yeah. Because he can't run. That's sad. It is. All right. Who's next? Me. Who's next? Call from Designer Will. Hey, Chris and Jason. Designer Will from Brooklyn, stuck in the Phoenix airport tonight. Thought I'd call and give feedback for the latest episode, Worth. I did enjoy it overall. Um, I think Chris is spot on with his Eugene theory, although I actually didn't see it coming, so 
I guess I'll keep an open eye for it. Dwight, well, I'm I'm kind of bummed that it sounds like he's been cornered by Negan. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if he has any way out or if he's fated to die at the hand of Negan like uh, Simon did. Um, after all this time, I find myself actually rooting for Dwight. I, I think he's kind of one of those guys who's genu- genuinely a good guy who just lost his way based on uh, the people he was surrounded by. Um, he's, you know, just trying to do what he needed to do to survive and uh, protect his wife. Um, interested to see if she'll ever come back into the fold. Anyway, have a good week, guys. P.S. I think the whole storyline with Oceanside and Aaron is dumb. It's both uninteresting and unbelievable if Aaron is indeed to convince Oceanside to do anything. Um, I just think it seems like a tacked-on sort of afterthought attempt to close out that storyline. Anyway, have a good week. Thanks, Will. Uh, for the first part of his uh, call there, I, I got to agree with. I find myself rooting for Dwight as well, and I don't think it's just because I want to see Negan go down. I think Dwight's a good character, and... I don't, want him, is a be, good character. I don't want him to be killed off, and I, I look forward to him being on the show for a long time. Uh, I, I presume as, you know, a member of Rick's team, because he's been sort of working for them for a while, and, and I think he's going to join the group when this is all said and done. So I don't want him to die, and and I do find myself rooting for him. Yeah, I mean, sure, he killed Dr. Denise, but if Tara can forgive him, so can we. That's how I feel. That's right. You know, he he... He he did kill Dr. Denise. It was sort of an accident. <laughs> uh, yeah. but then he saved Tara later and he's been doing he's been doing the good work since then. Right. So we need Tara to forgive him to let us off the hook uh so that we can like him as a character. Right. And it worked. It totally worked. You know, it took me a little while, but I am on board with Dwight and I hope he sticks around. So good on Dwight. Uh regarding Will's Oceanside comments uh i enjoyed his ps i think the i think the story with oceanside (laughs) is dumb dumb. (laughs) and i kind of agree too but they had to do something we know these people are out there and it would be weird and also dumb if they just ignored it and we never went back to them again uh i think anyways you know maybe that's not entirely true but they're there and aaron had to deliver his message by almost starving to death and uh you know being exposed to the elements and fighting off zombies, but I don't know. Are they going to play a part in next week's season finale? I think they probably will. They will. I mean, they can't not, right? Because why bring them up at all? Exactly. Would you? How would you have felt if they just hadn't brought them up and then they kind of just never come back and we assume they live their life in their little corner of the forest, fishing and doing nothing? Yeah, you mean like Heath? I mean like Heath, yeah. Yeah, okay. I think I would have been okay with that. It would have, I might have too, depends on, depends on how the things play out, I think, next week. It could be really cool. We don't know. Yeah. Well, maybe come back to them in a year or two and they grow some boys. <laughs> Is that how that works? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly what you're doing. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. no growing boys in my house. Yeah. All right. Next, we have uh, a long email, so bear with me on this one, from uh, Matt in Ohio across the lake. We always like to give Jason the longest emails. Yeah, especially with uh, multiple bullet points. Um, <laughs> all right, so Matt writes, As much as I love Chris's theory on uh, on that Eugene has turned against Negan, while watching the episode progress, I cannot entirely 
Uh, I got an entirely different feel from him. Eugene is all about himself. The scene with the mac and cheese and lording his power around shows how good he is, uh, good he has it at being Negan. This is furthered when he is babbling and and apologetic to Rosita about how he had expectations for Savior's mistreatment, but he was wrong. However, his old friends want to shove him in a dark hole and only use him for his intellect. His face instantly darkens with the re- with this realization, and you can see the angered resolve in his eyes. This is a huge turning point for Eugene, where he realizes that there is no redemption by going back to them, and that his best bet is to stay with Negan. With this context, I will address your points. Number one, the scene earlier in the episode where he caught Gabriel making bad bullets was to show the audience that Eugene can spot a fake bullet. I don't think that he got the idea to make bad ammunition bad ammunition from Gabe. Number two, with if Negan needs bullets to end the war, he's going to get them, rise to the occasion. Uh, he's telling everyone that the time for doing the minimum is no more. We have to end the war, and it starts here by working hard and giving Negan everything he needs. Number three, we will change Savior history history evermore. I agreed. Uh, I agree. This could go either way, but I think with how angry he is at Rick's group, he means this is going to be the their greatest victory. Number four, puts Father Gabriel back on the line and tells him to do it right this time to the letter. This uh, with. Uh, this with the scene earlier proves Gabe uh, proves to Gabe that he has to do uh, it the right way or pay the price, and that he knows Eugene will be watching out for any shenanigans. Number five, Eugene uses the same line that Rosita said to him. He says this with much more contempt and malice as he can muster. He's going to do something useful, like make bullets for Negan and make them all pay. Right, and. I'm afraid none of this changes my mind at all. Um, number one, the scene with uh, where he caught Gabe making bad bullets. I do think I think that was absolutely 100% there in order to make sure the audience knows that these bullets were being made poorly and possibly incorrectly. Otherwise, it just doesn't seem to make any sense to be in the to be in the episode at all. Um, all of the things that that Eugene said could be taken either way, not just we will change savior history evermore. Everything he said could be, could be taken to meant he's working for Negan or he's working against Negan and fair enough. You can take those both ways. So they don't really help, uh, help my argument at all. Other than the fact that I take them one way and people, uh, someone else may take them the other way. Um, Putting father Gabe back on the line. He tells him to follow my lead on the lead which, because I think, you know, uh, Eugene has has this thought in mind, he is, he's basically telling Father Gabe, this is what we're doing now. And, you know, you know how to make bad bullets. I know how to make bad bullets. We're going to make bad bullets together. So that that sort of just solidifies the point for me. And finally, the Rosita thing, or where Eugene says the same line as Rosita, that's what really brings it home for me. You know, she said this to him and I think in his mind, he's like, Oh my God, not so much that I betrayed these people and I have to do something to help them now, but he thinks I have to do something. I'm in a unique position to end this war. And I don't think he really 
cares whose side wins or loses. He says, I'm going to end this war. And since I'm working for one side, I'm going to do something to, uh, to sabotage what they're trying to do. And that is the best chance to end it altogether. Um, I or do maybe he has a completely separate plan in mind. He's a very smart guy. Maybe he's thinking not in terms of Rick or Negan. Maybe he's thinking in terms of maybe if I do it this way, I can get out uh, better than uh, going with either one of those groups. It could be, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, I just think he's, I think he's realized that he's probably been a little bit short-sighted in putting all of his eggs in the Negan basket because it doesn't take that long for something to go bad in Negan's camp. Not necessarily have Negan kill him, but, you know, if Simon was still around, Simon would be, you know, not hesitate to kill him if they had some disagreement. And then he knows that Rosita said, we're going to put you in a hole. But I think he's always understood that Rick and Rosita and everybody over on that side at the end of the day, we'll probably treat him better. And so I think he is looking for a little bit of redemption by doing this. He's going to help them win this war by making bad ammunition and then hope, he really hopes that they'll take him back and uh, he'll be able to live a peaceful life with them. So I can totally accept the fact that everyone sees it a different way and maybe it will play out a different way. I don't know, but I'm pretty convinced in my mind that this is what's going to happen. The other thing too is, and I think I mentioned this earlier on the last podcast, that we know that Rick is walking into a trap because of Negan's fake map. And um, Eugene knows this as well. Regina told him that when he came back to the bullet factory. So he thinks, but that by, and I also think that by him sabotaging these bullets is the only realistic way that we can have Rick and everybody survive this ambush because the savior's guns won't work. If they did work, as you've said a million times on the podcast, a successful ambush kills a hundred percent of everybody being ambushed. And that can't, yeah. we can't have that happen on the show. So, you know, I think from a story perspective, bad ammunition is something that the saviors won't expect. And it will allow Rick and everybody to survive the ambush. You know, if Eugene had a brain in his head at all, what <laughs> he would do is is exactly this. Make a bunch of bullets, put them in a car, grab a couple of guns that would fire those bullets, drive that car to Harbor Springs, Michigan. Why Harbor Springs? Because it. it's fucking beautiful there. Oh. And it's up way up north, and it's got a uh, a very long peninsula that is a gated community which has beautiful homes, access to wonderful boats, and is easily defensible because you just put up a fence along that peninsula like where it connects to the, the land, and you've got like uh, 30, 40 homes. The uh, the claim to fame when I was there doing parades back in the, uh, the late 80s, early 90s, was that Tom Selleck had a house in Harbor Springs. How could you go wrong in a town where Tom Selleck owns a house? You can't. Okay, I guess not. And it's small town. You've never heard of it, right? True. Yeah. Okay. It's a uh, it's a small town. Like I don't know what the population is. I probably find out in a couple of minutes. But uh, twelve hundred. That's not very big. But twelve hundred people. Uh-huh. There's not going to be a whole lot of zombies there. So fucking fuck off to Harbor Springs and hang out there. 
I mean, sure, winters, but, you know, zombies don't deal well with winter all that well. Sure. And, you know, you light a fire, you're happy in the winter. So that's a sort of a long way of saying just, like, get in a car and flee. Run away. Yeah. Leave why all is this he, behind you. Why is he vying for a position in either one of these camps? He's got to realize at this point that the zombies are way less dangerous than the people he's been hanging around with. Even to him? You, I don't know, man. He's pretty useless by himself. That's the whole point. One of the points. He, yeah, but, okay, so take uh, some people that are hanging around there. Grab Father Gabe and uh, you know whoever made him the uh, the stupid mac and cheese because you better believe that he didn't make it himself. Well, that was so, Frankie or uh, one of the other wives. Take yeah. a wife and a priest grab, and hit the road. Grab, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Sounds like the beginning get, of a joke. <laughs> get trucking. All right. Here's another uh, email about Eugene from Nia on the internet, and Nia writes, I had an entirely different interpretation to the one Chris outlined in his recap. My interpretation was that Eugene returned to the workshop absolutely apoplectic. Rosita and Daryl kidnapped him, humiliated and insulted him, and outright told him that he would remain alive in their custody for the sole purpose of providing information to them. With the saviors, he gets pickles, mac and cheese, video games, wine. He's in charge of his own task force and has freedom to a certain extent. I haven't seen any indication that he would want to trade that in for the benefit of the group that has disowned him. I may have missed something, but what I saw was Eugene doubling down on his bullet-making efforts and fully committing to wipe out Hilltop rather than continuing to kid himself that he's simply trying to survive. So that's basically the opposite of what I think. Uh, the problem I have with that argument is Nia says that, you know, he wouldn't want to trade all the niceties of the sanctuary for the benefit of a group that has disowned him. And I don't think that's accurate at all. I don't think they disowned him. I think he was taken uh, prisoner and and then has been... In, somewhat actively working against them since then for the other side. They didn't yeah, disown Yeah, but the Hilltop has a decidedly uh, distinct lack of video games. Well, they do have a lack of video games that we know of. They seem to have a surplus of turnips and whiskey, though, or they did until Simon took yeah, it all. Yeah, they did for a while, but they do, have a, they do have a blacksmith. Right. See? They got that. You know, blacksmith, video games, I don't know. I don't know. They have Jerry. Jerry's got to be a fun guy to hang out with. That's true. Speaking of Jerry, Jerry, Jerry really, probably has video games. You would you'd think he might, yeah. He hasn't done much in the second half of this season. Eh? He's kind of been standing on the wall the whole time. Yeah, he said dude to uh, uh, Ezekiel. He, he's made, so that was good. Yeah, he's made hand signals and, and been happy when people returned. But anyways, um, yeah, I'm I'm super excited to find out how it plays out on Sunday anyways, just so... We can see who's right, and well, maybe Eugene will bite it, and nobody will be right. Maybe he, maybe he will. Maybe this is Eugene's last episode. I mean, you got to think people are going to die if there is going to be some finale to All Out War. So maybe it's Eugene. We don't maybe know. It's Eugene. All right. All right. Next, we have a call from Diego. Hey guys, I uh, just wanted to note um, to contribute to the theory of Eugene turning on the saviors. Uh, you mentioned he said by gender. Uh, we're going to get Negan those bullets. Uh, I heard by Ginger, uh, of course, referring to Abraham, uh, which would definitely 
contribute to that theory. Um, I'm not sure if I misheard that, but what do you guys think? Thanks, Diego. So I was also talking with uh, Lizzie from the Brains Gone Bad podcast uh, the other day, and she mentioned to me that it was by ginger, not by gender. And I think that makes a little more sense. I don't think by gender is a thing, but I feel like I've heard people say by ginger before. And of course, that could be a reference to Abraham being a redhead. So just another reference by Eugene back to sort of his original group of friends, which I don't know, for me, just kind of strengthens the whole point that uh, that he's actually working against Negan now. So, uh, yeah, that's it. I think it's a good catch. I've never heard of either phrase. Well, but then again, you know, Eugene spews crap all the time. So who the hell knows? Half the stuff that comes out of his mouth, you know, you've never heard before. So, uh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes the most of the stuff that comes out of his mouth makes sense. It's just an odd phraseology of getting around to his point. Uh So maybe by ginger or by gender or, uh, by golly, I have no idea what he was, what he means. I I didn't catch that line. So, well, uh, you know what? Whether I've heard it before or not, if I haven't, and it's not a thing that people say, what does it mean in the context of the show? And it must be a reference to Abraham. And he's saying, you know, by Ginger, he's referencing his old friend, the man who kept him safe for a long time, realizing I don't that know, maybe he watches Gilligan's Island all the time, and he's talking about Ginger, the the actress. And you know what? That's I wouldn't. Uh, I could believe that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> with you, I'm going to say by Marianne from now on. By, by Marianne. Marianne, we're going to get that done. Do it. I think that would be great. Do that at work. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I just. I started it right now. Perfect. All right. Uh, next, we have Brandon in Madison, Wisconsin. Daryl is the best MFing tracker alive, and Eugene runs into a pile of people ashes, hides under it, and Daryl can't tell the footprints just stop. The show has probably spent a season's worth of airtime proving Daryl can find anything anywhere since tracking and crossbow wielding are his superpowers, and they ruined both in one scene. Did you notice how much he was struggling to reload his crossbow in what is probably the first time they actually showed him doing it? They are literally taking his this beloved character's two best skills and saying, well, actually, he's terrible at them. Reloading a crossbow is an awkward pain in the ass. I don't care who you are. It's the the thing about crossbows. They're incredibly powerful, but they don't reload easy. No, I've never tried, but I do have that feeling that they're a tricky weapon to reload. So yeah, I mean know. that compound crossbow you can you can do it with your hands and stuff. But back in the day when it was just straightforward crossbows, you needed fucking tools and two guys to do it. Right, and muscles the size of Negan's and a crank or something <laughs> like that. But it was uh, yeah, muscles the size of of Negan's. Right. Not Jeffrey Dean Morgan's. <laughs> yeah. Negan's. That's right. Uh, but I'm surprised that they showed somebody trying to reload a crossbow because they're not a rapid fire weapon. They're a one shot kind of thing. All right. So but what about the fact that he just walks right by Daryl? I mean, uh, Eugene hiding in the ashes. So the the track, the, the tracks did go all the way through the, uh, the ash pile. So right. he spotted those tracks and went, oh, tracks going all the way through. He ran this away. But... There's no way Eugene would have been able to hide in that ash pile without a friggin' elven cloak around him that was given to him by uh, Galadriel or whoever. <laughs> uh, forgive me if I got that wrong. So let me ask you a question. The fact that the tracks continued through, is that just lucky on Eugene's part? Because he couldn't make those tracks and then double back and then hide. That oh, he just... absolutely did. It's the same thing the kid did in The Shining. Sorry to spoil the end of The Shining. Uh, 
but you run through an area and then you backtrack very slowly. Uh, or he ran through and then ran around the other side of the uh, the ash pile and then dove under the ash pile or lifted the ash pile up magically and then, you know, hid under it like a blanket. Right. That seems There's no way he would have been able to hide in there is what I'm saying. That seems to be what he did, sort of hid under it like a blanket. But I'm just saying I'm not sure Eugene would be resourceful or sneaky enough to make some tracks and then backpedal carefully enough and then hide. I just don't think he would have had the time. So I think he saw the no, track. The kid in the shining can do it. Uh, Eugene can do it. And Eugene's smart enough to know that he would have to do it. Yeah, but not have the time. I mean, she was right behind him. And I know oh, yeah, she that, had to kill a couple zombies, but still. That's all bullshit. He's he not a fast runner. Uh, right. Well, yeah, exactly. He's not a fast runner. I think he just got lucky. And uh, there were tracks. And he's like, I'm going to hide here. And then Daryl misidentified the tracks. So. Yeah, if he just. You know, why hide under an ash pile? Why not just hide around a corner with, like, the tracks, and then he was hiding around the corner? People hide around corners all the time. Yeah, or just keep you know? running, hide around a corner, run some more, you know, hide some. seemed very elaborate. It kind of does. Anyways. Not, for, not plausible. It worked for him. Yeah. All right, next we have Amy on the internet. I disagree with com- the comparisons between Negan and Rick. I get that Rick has done some things of late that seem harsh, but he has never, from day one, been intentionally cruel to someone just for his own sick, twisted pleasure. That's what defines Negan's character in a nutshell. So holding these men up to equal morality tests is absurd to me. So the last few emails we have here are kind of about the difference between Negan and Rick, which is something we've talked about a little bit here, especially after watching Nick, uh, Nick Rick do, um, you know, do some horrible things and, and kill those saviors uh, when he had a, a, the option not to, or seemed to have the option not to. And, um, you know, Amy's just saying that, well, no, Rick is nowhere near as bad as Negan. And uh, I can see that, but I think the, they are, these two characters are swinging a little closer together as this show goes on. So I'm going to read our next email here. And uh, this comes from Jan in Germany about similar things, uh, Rick didn't become an asshole all of a sudden in late season eight. When he states his bullshit about a man's word being the only thing that you can rely on in the zombie apocalypse, he is in fact quoting himself. In an earlier episode, Rick and Daryl talk to a young savior dude who is hiding behind a tree. They make him come out of his cover, put away his gun, and give them the intelligence they need at the time by using the exact same words. Rick tells him that a man's word has still got to mean something after which they shoot him and then move on. In the same episode, or maybe the next one, Rick takes down a savior outlook. Another time would be a wounded man lies next to a pole to which a zombie is tied with a rope. The savior starts jeering at Rick, telling him that Negan will soon wipe him out, and as a response, Rick cuts the rope with his hatchet and walks away without looking back at the guy that is now being eaten alive by the zombie. Also, he tried to shoot Sadiq on sight early in Season 8 for no reason. As you can see, these, uh, those are absolutely dick moves that show what Rick has become already at the beginning of this season. A cold-blooded killer with no higher standards than Negan and his dick brigade. <laughs> and his dick brigade. <laughs> so those are some good examples. I completely forgot about when Rick and Daryl were standing talking to that savior. Now, to be fair, Daryl killed that guy. And then yeah. Rick kind of gave him a funny look. So I don't think at the time Rick completely approved of that, 
but we also didn't call out Daryl in such a strong way for doing it. So where's the double standard there? Yeah. It's, uh, I, I really do think Rick is sliding into the, uh, the depths of evil. Uh, he might not be all the way there, but, uh, he's definitely on his way. No, I, I mean, I think he's, he's just about there and, uh, I just don't think it, it happened as suddenly as we think, right? Like all of these examples that Jan mentions are, are decent ones. You know, they, they attacked the savior outpost and killed people in their sleep. That's pretty, pretty evil when you think about it. Um, you know, and he did indeed cut a zombie free and just let it eat a guy who was uh, right there and just walk away with no regard for that guy. So you didn't have and to do that. And they stole a baby. Don't forget that they stole a baby with the, that, you know, the baby's parentage has not come up since. Like, what the fuck's going on with that baby? No, they have the baby. The baby is just there. We've seen the baby in, in episodes since then, and the baby is at, um, is at the hilltop. The thing about that is the baby's parent was one of the people in that building they were attacking uh, or searching for the big weapons, remember? So yeah. that baby is not, does not have parents anymore, so they're taking care of it. I don't think there's a question yeah. about okay. who so owns So they murdered baby the baby's anymore. parents and then kept the baby. Yes, they did. Now, they murdered that baby's parents in, you know, in an act of war more so than, you know, which maybe doesn't make it okay, but it's slightly different than killing people haphazardly. I don't know. I don't know if I can even, I don't know if I can, uh, can back that up because I guess you could argue that the saviors that were fleeing in that bar, I mean, that was in a way an act of war too, because technically they're at war. But anyways, um, I'm just, I just think that Jan makes a good point and that Rick's sort of downfall has come, uh, has been coming a little longer and a little slower than we think. Right. Right. Do you think it's right for Negan to blame Rick for this whole situation? Um, no, not really, because Negan's approach is definitely at the best questionable anyways. And at some point, someone was going to realize that, try to fight back. Well, but Rick killed a First thing Rick did when he found out about the saviors was kill a bunch of them. The first thing Negan did when he found out about the Alexandrias was beat two of them to death with a baseball bat. Right? Now, that was after Rick killed a bunch of people. They went to the uh, the satellite place and uh, killed all those people before we ever met Negan. Yeah. Negan lured them in after that because Rick killed a bunch of them. But, I mean, he had word from the hilltop that Negan was out there and that, uh, you know, they're pretty bad guys. So it was preemptive defense. Preemptive defense. Yeah, that's uh, that doesn't... So I can, you know, from a certain point of view, Negan's like, these guys came out of nowhere, murdered a bunch of my guys. I tried to give put them in line by killing a couple of theirs, you know, just to make a point. Uh-huh. And uh, now they're flying off all the handle. I don't know what's going on. So when it comes right down to it, who fired the first shot in this war, Rick or Negan? <sighs> It depends on your perspective because uh, Rick found out about Negan after Negan did things like murder all the people at Oceanside, right? Whether it was just Simon doing it, but you know, it was, or whether it was sanctioned or not, the saviors as a collective killed all the people, killed all, killed all the men and boys there. 
Uh-huh. They also killed a couple of people at every single settlement that they've ever come in contact with because that's the that's their MO is to show up, find some people, find a group of people, kill a couple of them, get them in line, provide tribute. Right. right. So and they have all the guns and they have all the power and all the mattresses and because that's what they do when they find a uh, a community, they put them in line. Rick yeah. found out that they were doing this and went to stop them by killing a bunch of people at the, uh, at the satellite station. Sure. So it's a bit of a gray area. It is a bit of a gray area. Rick, you know, Rick acted on information. Uh, Rick, Rick reacted extremely or acted extremely on information. Um, yeah. Whereas Negan was in fact doing these things. I don't know. It's 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 uh, it's definitely uh, questionable either way. I think. Yeah. So you know, if I am walking through the forest and I come across a bear that has uh, eaten seven or eight people, and I see the corpses of those seven or eight people, and I see the bear with uh, a foot sticking out of his mouth and uh, blood all over his face, and I shoot the bear. Is it my fault? Um, you know, am I wrong because I I fired the first shot? Because that that bear did eat seven or eight people. That bear did eat seven or eight people. That's the thing. I mean, they've people put down dogs for a lot less. Yeah, and bears once they get the taste for man meat, they uh, <laughs> they just keep going. And garbage when they get a taste for human garbage, they don't go away either. No, you can't get rid of them then. Um, but you know, bears and people. Different things. They are. You know, bears are big and furry. Right. And cuddly. Really really cuddly. Cuddly. Teddy bears. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. All right. Um, Just before we move on here, Jan in his email also mentioned that apparently, Jason, you and I had the same conversation about unrefrigerated eggs like a couple of years ago on the podcast, but I have no recollection of this. So do you think it's true? Absolutely. I prob- I do too. I bring up the unrefrigerated eggs any chance I get. Okay. Well, it came up a couple of weeks ago and apparently a yeah. couple of years ago as well, but yeah. I must be starting to lose my mind because I don't I can, recall I, that at all. I can get away with it with you. I can't get away with it with my wife. She's like, I, I, you told me that story already. Well, yeah, <laughs> so. I I, uh, I know what that's like, but uh, you can't get away with it with our listeners either. So No, because uh, they're smarter than you. Way, way smarter <laughs> than me. Uh, so you, you better break out some, some new stories soon. I got to do something new. I haven't done anything new in a while. <laughs> Join a hockey team. I, that would be new. No, I'm not joining the hockey team. All right. Read the next one. <laughs> All right. Next, we have an email from Chris in the UK. Last week's episode raised once again, the question of whether Rick, uh, is really any better than Negan. You should judge the men, not by how they act when they are at war. You should judge them by how they act when they're, when things are calm. Would you rather live at Hilltop or in Sanctuary? Negan rules by fear. The same cannot be said by Rick. This isn't to say that it's okay for Rick to slaughter everyone last week. I think the point of that was to have Rick go too far and realize that he'd gone too far. Yes. Uh, and this, Chris makes a good point. Judge people by how they act, not at war, rather than at war. And... I think the point absolutely 100% was to have Rick go too far because something is going to happen in the season finale, which is going to redeem Rick. And the quick update on that, last week, 
we had this idea for me to speak, you know, privately into a microphone after we hung up the phone call here and yep. record a prediction for the season finale, which I did. I put it in a password protected zip file and I emailed it to Jason. So he has it. I assume you received I have it. it. I've seen it. I have not opened it. I have not listened it. I have not cracked it. Very good because you can't. It's uh, what do you mean can't? I don't know. I don't know. Won't. Let's just start with won't. I don't know about can't. Okay. I'll never find out if I can or can't. Okay. Because I won't. Fair enough. It is an unopened file. I'm going to provide you the password for that zip file on our next podcast live, and you're going to open it and we're going to play it and see what I had to say and find out if my prediction came, uh, comes to fruition. That sounds fair. I'm really excited about this. I, I hope it will. Uh, but we will see. Anyways, I think Chris makes a good point and the having Rick sort of drop to rock bottom this way and have him go too far and realize he's gone too far is sort of built into what I'm predicting is going to happen. Right. Okay. I'm not sure if I necessarily agree with Chris when he, uh, when he says that you should not judge by men by how they act in war, but how they act in, at calm. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, if you meet a really, really nice person, uh, that you think is probably the, a very sweet, sweet person, and then you go out for a meal with them, and they're rude to the wait staff. That doesn't—they're not a nice person who happens to be rude to wait staff. They're an asshole that's pretending to be nice. Yeah, well, sure, <laughs> but I mean, war changes a person. Uh, it does, but I think that the uh, the way you act, regardless of the circumstances, is uh, important and indicative of your character. I think I think that is a fair point, but I mean, maybe maybe people are not should not be judged by individual actions, and maybe they should be judged by a collection of actions rather than one small thing here and there. Yeah, I mean, this is something I've been struggling with lately: is you judge somebody on the worst thing they've ever done, right? Right. You know, it's just it's it's just a it's a morality. Uh, philosophical thing that I've been judging, uh, not judging, but I've been thinking about is that, you know, if one person uh, is perfectly fine, upstanding citizen and then commits murder, you know, is that it? They're a murderer. Nothing they all, nothing they've done in the rest of their life has any meaning whatsoever. They're a murderer. They should die. Well, I mean, necessarily die or go to prison for the rest of their lives, or they should at least pay for their crime. They absolutely should pay. Don't get me wrong, but should they should their entire life be judged on that one act? I, I mean, it doesn't necessarily invalidate other things they've done in their life, good or bad, but it does make them a murderer. They've murdered, they killed somebody, and they yes, should. That is absolutely true. They should pay the price for that. They should face the consequences for that action. It doesn't mean that uh, that time they dove into a lake and saved a child from drowning was uh, not a heroic act, but they're still a murderer. Yeah, but they're also still a hero. They're also still a hero. So, yes, you, you're absolutely right. But, you know, society at large today tends to uh, vilify people for the worst thing they've ever done, and there's no redemption from that. No, that's, and, that is the way I'm, we're going, yeah. Yeah, and I'm wondering if that's... You know, if I can morally accept that, I'm not sure I can. And it's something I've been struggling with. Well, I blame the internet. It's uh, it's the cause of and solution to all of the world's problems. Yeah, much like money and alcohol. Exactly. All money, right. alcohol, and the internet. 
There you go. Our <laughs> our final email for the night, uh, which actually isn't entirely true because I have one quick one I want to address in a quick after hour segment tonight. But final one for now comes from Ellie in Blina Festinog. That's the best I can do on that one in North Wales. And Ellie did say not to worry about pronouncing that wrong, but I went and looked it up and I still have trouble pronouncing it. Yeah. I would too. So Welsh is hard. It's really hard. Someday I want to go there because it looks amazing, but uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce anything, so I'll probably starve to death in restaurants. Yep. Ellie writes, hi guys, having a chemistry teacher throw up over your boobs is gross. Thank you, Walking Dead, for bringing up these unwanted memories. I'd tell you the whole story, but instead I need to make peace with my partner after he caught me typing Stephen Ogg shirtless into Google. I have some <laughs> explaining to do. <laughs> Ah, that all sounds wonderful. It really, really does. Um, I hope <laughs> I want to hear both stories. I kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I hope everyone out there in uh, podcast land, after you suggested them to Google Stephen Ogg shirtless, I hope they did. Yeah. I actually, I, I kind of don't want to hear the stories. I kind of like, uh, and some things are better unsaid, you know? Absolutely. Some things It's more are. entertaining to just imagine that there are stories out there like that. that totally. Totally. And, uh. Chemistry teacher. Oh, no, I, I want to hear that. <laughs> well, I don't know that we ever will. Ellie, please feel no pressure to uh, write in your story about that. I'm it's so curious. It's yours. I kind of don't want to know. Yeah, it's yours and yours alone. So, all right. Thank you so much to everyone who wrote and called in this week. Uh, lots of great email and feedback and comments and stuff like that. And of course, keep doing it. Keep sending it in. We will have uh, another podcast recapping the season eight finale on Monday, and then following later in the week, another feedback episode, uh, all about that episode. So look forward to that coming up. Uh, the next episode of The Walking Dead is called Wrath. We have a few title reads already, but make sure you send yours in if you would like to get it on the podcast. Please send it in sometime before, you know, 5 or 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern time on Monday. That'll give me a chance to include it in the show. But otherwise, if you want to get in touch, visit our website at TalkingDeadPodcast.com and click on Send Voicemail at the top to record a message, which will get emailed directly to me. You can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheTalkingDead or on Twitter at TalkingDead. And of course, as I've mentioned, you can send all email correspondence to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, as I mentioned off the top, there's only about a week and a bit to get your record your favorite scene contest entries in. So by all means, email those in as soon as possible. We want to get the last few in before the, uh, before the contest wraps up. And, the, you know, I haven't said it in a while, but there is a prize box full of stuff that we are going to send out to the winner. And the winner is basically the one that we like the best. So, uh, that is very cool, but you don't have a chance to win unless you enter. So please do. Um, okay, stay tuned for a quick after-hours segment. Uh, I've got one email to read, not really related to Walking Dead, but related to Limes. So you may want to stay or stick around for that. Uh, otherwise, though, we'll see you on Monday. So until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Okay, Jason, I got one email here I wanted to uh, read and talk about briefly, mostly provide an explanation for, 
Uh, but this comes from Dan in York, UK. And Dan writes, Chris, you said a few weeks ago that you sometimes eat limes on their own. Do you peel them and eat them in segments like an orange? Half them and scoop out the flesh like a grapefruit? Or quarter them and suck out the juice? So I think this is an interesting question, and uh, I would like to address it right now. Okay. What it comes down to, Dan? Do you, maybe, maybe, do you just eat them whole? Like, just like, you yeah, have yeah. like a really big throat, and you just kind of pop them in and swallow <laughs> them down like a pill? No, I eat them the the fourth way that Dan doesn't mention, and that's like an apple. I just hold them, take a bite, chew it up, and eat it. No, you don't. <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> um, what I do, and I'll be honest with you, I don't eat limes straight up very often, although I am a big fan of citrus fruit of all kinds, so I do enjoy them. But put it this way, if a slice of lime comes in my drink in a restaurant, or if I put some, you know, a slice of lime in, in water to lime it up a little bit here at home, I will de generally eat that lime slice. And I know some people find that weird to do, you know, in public and borderline socially unacceptable, but I also do it with lemon slices and orange slices that I may get in a drink. So I just love the right. citrus fruit. Occasionally at home, I will juice a lime and like put, put it in some water, make some nice, delicious lime water. Well, and, lime water's nice. I like that. Yeah. And, and again, you know, if I cut limes or anything at home, I'll you know, I'll often just eat them, but no, I don't eat them really like an orange very much. Um, although that's kind of how I would do it. Uh, I don't scoop them like a grapefruit. Definitely don't do that. Do that. Um, but I have been known to, you know, quarter a lime and suck out the juice. So I'm just a limey kind of guy, but it that's applies, good. it applies to you're lemons, gonna, oranges and everything. You're going to avoid scurvy. I, nice. I do hope to avoid scurvy. Yes. I don't want the scurvy. So that's it. That's my story about limes. You don't want to hear the other weird thing about me? Uh, yeah, of course. Well, f uh, food or fruit related. I really uh -huh. enjoy kiwi as well. And I know not everyone likes kiwi, kiwi fruit, but I am one of the weird people that eats the skin of the kiwi along with the meat of the kiwi. Huh. And Flesh. Yeah. And I started doing this as a kid because, you know, my mom would cut up kiwi for me. And I once wondered, can you eat that? So somehow I looked up, can you eat kiwi skin? Maybe when I was a little bit older. And then I tried it and I really liked it. So uh, I eat the skin of a kiwi, which a lot of people find weird, but I quite enjoy. It has a really right, well, nice tart taste to it. And I like tart stuff. Well, way to go, Weiro. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> All right. If you don't have any uh, weird food stories to share, we can probably call it a night. I don't think I do. Not for today, anyways. I don't, know. I don't like tomatoes. That's not that weird. Yeah. Okay. Good night, everyone.